Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for joining us here for AOA. I am in Washington, D.C. this week for the National Association of Farm Broadcasters Washington Watch event. Every year they put this event on. We've got about 30 farm broadcasters here from around the country. We'll be talking over the next several days with legislators and regulators getting up to speed on the issues that are under discussion here in D.C. On today's program, we're going to have some of those conversations. We're going to talk with Iowa Senior Senator Charles Grassley here in just a moment. In segment two, we're going to check in with the National Farmers Union as they prepare for their farm bill conversations. And then in segment three, we're going to talk about the grain markets. Continue to see the rally moving yesterday. Saw both corn and soybeans push higher. That move has continued into the overnight. And we'll be talking with Tanner Emke of Cobank here in a little bit about the fundamental factors he's watching as this grain market he Heats up for the planting season 2023. And we got updates on the 2023 planting season on Monday from USDA on their second, or excuse me, third crop progress report of the year. Nationwide corn planting has moved ahead five percentage points this last week. U.S. farmers are now at eight percent planted for this year's crop. Soybeans also seeing some progress. Four percent of the nation's soybeans are in the ground as of right now. We're going to check in with Iowa Senator Charles Grassley here. And Senator Grassley, how's progress looking on the Grassley home farm back in Iowa? So Robin Grassley was hoping to start planting today, but we had uh, a snow last night and I don't know the fields are ready to go today we didn't get a great deal of moisture but maybe just enough to keep it from starting today we had 80 degrees last uh, week and now I woke up in Iowa before I flew back to Washington DC with uh, 33 degrees so it's not good an update on farm bill is pretty simple uh we got to start writing it pretty soon without having a top line on the budget. Uh, we uh, aren't going to know uh, how much money we can spend on the farm bill. So we're going to have to write language and stick some figures in and dial them up or dial them down, uh, depending on what the overall expenditure is that the appropriators come up with. Uh, my main concerns are if we got enough money. More for research and more for foreign uh, marketing. Uh, I want to make sure that the federal government isn't an unfair competitor against the cash renter. When uh, we have a situation where land's being put in CRP, we don't want the federal government exceeding that 85% of the cash rent in a particular county. And then, of course, the the big 900 gorilla that's got to be in the bill is the crop insurance program. Senator, as you talk to folks about the crop insurance program and the value that brings to growers on the ground, have there been any folks who have come out and, and are taking aim at that program with a goal to see it eliminated? Uh, not at this point, but I would expect, oh no, uh, under no circumstances, anybody suggests that eliminating the crop insurance program. But I think you will find before this bill gets through the United States Senate, there will be people putting on caps that after a certain income, you can't participate in the crop insurance program. Or at least you can't cooperate in it from the sense that, from the extent to which there's a federal subsidy for it. That makes sense. Senator, the other big concern as we get into a farm bill writing time period is SNAP, Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. Those conversations are heating up. Do you sense there will be big changes to SNAP in this next farm bill? Uh, yeah, there'll have to be some changes because you can see that on a 10-year figure, uh, bill stack up $250 billion for $42 million people on food stamps, it doesn't come out so much per person, but that's a big increase that I don't think he had the authority to do and shouldn't have done. So there's going to have to be some compromise there. 
And as far as the House is concerned, there has to be some compromise on work requirements for food stamps. See, we had work requirements before the pandemic. Uh, then we, uh, because we shut down the economy, we did away with those requirements uh, during the pandemic. Now the pandemic's over. We ought to go back to the pre-pandemic policy. But in the end, everybody knows. It doesn't matter whether you like the nutrition programs getting 85% of all the money we spend in the farm bill or not. Uh, if you don't have a SNAP with uh, the safety net for farmers, you aren't going to have a safety net for farmers. And we need a safety net for farmers. We certainly do, Senator. We need that safety net, particularly in a time of rising costs, which we have clearly been in for the past three years. I'm sure you hear about inflation and cost pressures from constituents all the time. Are there any actions that you're watching on the Senate side who could help that could help farmers reduce some of those costs? Well, I think that you've got to look at it in the broad picture. The reason farmers, nobody likes inflation, but the thing that farmers don't want when they have to borrow money to, to farm uh, is the interest rate to go up because the Fed is fighting inflation. So I think on a broader uh, appropriations level of expenditure, uh, the extent to which we exceed the rate of inflation or have in the past years, and hopefully not this year, we've exceeded the rate of inflation, then everything we do through the fiscal policy of the federal government is counterproductive to the Fed raising interest rates, trying to get inflation down to that uh, 2% where it was between 2011 and 2020. Those costs definitely have an impact. Senator, I know you've got another call to get to a busy day in Washington, D.C., but before we let you go, E15 sales nationwide, do you have a sense of some of that legislation in Congress? Can we get that done for 2023? I think it's difficult to get legislation passed, but obviously I'm going to vote for it. I'm sponsoring it along with Klobuchar and Ernst. And maybe we have others, but at least those uh, you may not be aware of. But a year ago, uh, last week, the President of the United States was in Iowa. And he, uh, behi- because of the high cost of gasoline, uh, he, uh, uh, he uh, made E15 year-round. And then, you know, maybe uh, six weeks ago, they announced E15 year-round for 2024. Uh, there was some reason you couldn't do it in 2023 put out by EPA to the extent that, well, the suppliers uh, need time to adjust to it, and we just don't have time in 2023. Well, uh, if if the president was willing uh, at this time a year ago to announce it when he was in Iowa, it's not too late to announce it for 2023. So my letter to the president was, uh, do the same thing you did last year and the same thing you've already decided to do for 2024. We need uh, E15 year-round 2023, and then forever, hopefully. And then forever, hopefully. Folks, we have been talking with Iowa's senior Senator Charles Grassley, Republican from Iowa. Senator Grassley, thank you so much for joining us today. Glad to be with you anytime. Folks, stay with us. When AOA returns, we're going to check in with Rob LaRue, president of the National Farmers Union. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. 
The archaeological record suggests that wheat was first cultivated in the regions of the Fertile Crescent, also known as the Cradle of Civilization, around 9600 BC. The Roman goddess Ceres, who was deemed protector of the grain, gave grains their common name today, cereal. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three-quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. The first bagel rolled into the world in 1683 when a baker from Vienna, Austria, was thankful to the king of Poland for saving Austria from Turkish invaders. The baker reshaped the local bread so that it resembled the king's stirrup. The new bread was called bugel, derived from the German word for stirrup. Ancient traditional tortillas were made from ground corn by Mexican natives as long as 2,000 years ago. However, flour tortillas only started to become popular in the 19th century. More types of foods are made with wheat than with any other cereal grain. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Agriculture of America continues here from Washington Watch in Washington, D.C. We're joined now by Rob LaRue. Rob serves as the president of the National Farmers Union. Rob, thanks for speaking with us today. Good to be with you. Of course, this time of year, Farm Bill is on everyone's mind as we prepare to rewrite that five-year piece of legislation. Rob, from NFU members, what are you hearing are the major concerns as this rewrite comes into focus? Well, I, I think like a lot of folks, uh, Farmers Union members uh, across the country want to make sure that whatever farm bill we get through is going to be one that's going to address their needs for the next five years, right? Too often in the past, we've had individual programs that might be right for the time today, but market conditions change. Uh, we have weather conditions that change. So, so, so making sure that we have a strong safety net in the commodity programs, uh, that we address in some way disaster assistance. Um, and then beyond that, uh, you know, a certainty of having a farm bill done on time uh, would also be good. But the, uh, the key here is a safety net uh, in place for farmers for the next five years. As we think about that safety net, as NFU thinks about that safety net, we've got crop insurance programs that exist today. Is that the foundation you'd like to see built upon on this next farm bill? Oh, I think that there's no doubt that crop insurance is absolutely foundation safety net component, right? And then you add on top of that uh, ARC and PLC uh, for the commodity programs, so forth. Um, you know, are there ways to kind of, uh, you know, strengthen those, whether we're talking about raising reference prices or not? Um, but at the very least, we want to do no harm first on crop insurance. Uh, can we look at ways to make crop insurance or crop insurance like products available for uh, and, and use that successful model for even more uh, commodities out there? I, I think that those are things that are going to be part of the conversation. But uh Making sure that we have strong crop insurance. Can we strengthen other programs around it? There's always disaster assistance as that other component. Um, budget's going to be the big key. 
budget is going to be the big key. Rob, what are you hearing from your contacts in in Washington on Capitol Hill? Ha! We've got the debt ceiling fight ahead. We've got lots of expenditures going for agriculture over the past several years. How ugly could this get? Well, what it can mean is we've already seen uh, uh, years ago uh, when we had the same scenario with the debt ceiling debate and you had the partisan uh, divide uh, between uh, the, the Congress and the White House, uh, we saw a farm bill drag on for uh, three years beyond uh, its expiration. That's not good for anyone out there. And so I think that the, the the threat is real if we get too distracted by this. So we will have debt ceiling conversations. People are already looking at the farm bill as one of those uh uh, ideas that might need a haircut or something like that. But I think that that's wrongheaded. This is a food security bill. We need to make sure it remains strong. So we hope that uh, folks don't get distracted during the uh, debt ceiling debate and that we can get a farm bill done with the right programs. Now, of course, when we have these farm bill discussions, it's always a time to bring up new ideas, include some new programs and take a look at programs that we've had in the past. NFU has been really big on a competition title in the farm bill. Rob, for listeners who maybe aren't familiar with that concept, what would that mean? Well, most farmers and ranchers, if they haven't heard the term uh, competition title, they know the issue really well because they know whether or not we're talking about right to repair, whether or not we're talking about bringing price transparency and certainty uh, back to uh, cattle markets, whether we're talking about any of these issues where it is, it is about transparency, it is about uh, giving farmers a fair shake in the marketplace. Too often in some of these uh, sectors of agriculture, we're too concentrated. That's not uh, really American. It's not the free market. We need to make sure that there's competition in that marketplace. When we don't have competition, farmers inevitably receive less. They pay more. Uh, uh, their costs go up and they have fewer choices. That's not the way we should be operating. And so we will be looking for those avenues in this farm bill to bring competition back to agriculture. How is the farm bill an avenue for that sort of thing? What sort of carrots and sticks can we put in place to incentivize competition in the market? Well, I think that, you know, it will bring certainty. Too often, um, we have USDA uh, attempt uh, through different administrations, whatever current president is in operation, whatever secretary, um, they make attempts in cattle market space with Packers and Stockyards Act. And then we have Congress stepping in um, uh, and can either delay um, or forestall uh, that progress. And so a farm bill uh, will be an opportunity to put uh, in very plain language what this competition should look like. If we're talking about Packers and Stockyards Act, it's about making sure that, again, it's cattle price transparency, making sure that we truly have a component of the cash market in there. Uh, things that uh, farmers and ranchers certainly know that they need, but it's not just in cattle and livestock. Um, you know, you have also in labeling on the meat side, you've got the product of the USA labeling going on right now at USDA. Uh, years ago, we had country of origin labeling. Uh, so a farm bill is an avenue for see some of these kind of provisions. The trick will be making sure it's in there, there's certainty, and that no one takes it out. That's true, Robin. I'm glad you brought up the voluntary labeling that USDA is working on. Was that something that NFU has supported? Absolutely. Uh, certainly, we were huge uh, supporters of mandatory country of origin labeling, and we still remain uh, very supportive of that. But voluntary uh, a label that enables consumers to actually know where their meat is coming from is useful to everybody. It is. Rob, we've got a lot of listeners here who are getting ready to be more active this year in a farm bill year. If they want to learn more about what National Farmers Union is bringing to the table, where can they go for more information? Absolutely. National Farmers Union can be reached at nfu.org. And folks can also look at fairnessforfarmers.org. That's Rob LaRue, president of the National Farmers Union. Rob, thank you so much for joining us here today. Thank you. Lots of discussions heating up already for the 2023 Farm Bill. I had that conversation with Rob LaRue Monday afternoon at the Issues Forum here at Washington Watch. Uh, effectively get about 100 different policy folks, ag business folks together in the room, and we talk about what are the issues that are moving. And one of the major topics of conversation yesterday is the ongoing saga over WOTUS, the waters of the U.S. rule. We're not going to rehash too much of it today. We've spent a lot of time talking about this rule and its impact on agriculture of the past several weeks. But I was speaking with Chase Adams. He works uh, in congressional relations with the National Pork Board. And we were talking about the expected vote coming on Tuesday in the House of Representatives, the vote to override President Joe Biden's veto on that Biden administration WOTUS rule. Now, the House 
probably isn't going to have the votes, uh, according to most of the political thinkers here in D.C., in order to override that veto. And it definitely isn't going to happen in the Senate. The Senate just doesn't have the juice even to pick it up. But the conversations continue to be, we're waiting and we're watching and all eyes are on the U.S. Supreme Court. That Sackett versus the EPA case is expected to come down anytime now. I had the chance to catch up with a couple of attorneys yesterday. And they've mentioned that in the past, clean water cases, when they're decided by the Supreme Court, they release those decisions in April. Well, we've only got about another week left, so we didn't get the news from the Supreme Court yesterday. Stay tuned. When that does come, it will likely be coming on a Monday morning, and hopefully that legal case will give some certainty to this Waters of the U.S. rule, maybe we can put some of it behind us. And it definitely matters for livestock producers as the political discussion around livestock production continues to heat up. We're seeing pressures in Europe and in New Zealand and Australia of uh, concerns, I should have said, about animal agriculture's emissions and calls to reform the way the animal ag system works around the country. An interesting new study was highlighted earlier this week. This is a study coming from Oxford University Press. So over there in the UK, this is in their Animal Frontiers Journal. This is a whole study built on the importance of animal agriculture in the global economy. These folks are going back and, and they're saying, look, Agriculture, animal agriculture, cannot be, quote, a victim of simplification and reductionism. This study found that livestock farming supports the livelihoods of about one in six people globally and supplies food, nutrition, income, and more. Over the past several years, as we've been talking about the push for plant-based diets, there have been calls from some of the more environmentally progressive folks to say, look, let's just use our ground to grow food that humans eat. Let's not use it to grow corn that we're going to feed to livestock. But these our authors point out, quote, plant-based production does not only lead to human edible food, but also large amounts of inedible biomass. Livestock are the most likely viable option to return those nutrients captured in this biomass back into the natural cycle while producing high quality human edible food. That is a refrain I hear from my friends in the meat production business all the time. There is no other way to turn these vast acres of inedible calories into human edible food except perhaps by letting an animal graze on it first, and then we can turn that animal into food. So we'll continue to watch this. I thought that was a fantastic study. I will share the link to that up on our social media pages and on our Twitter, so you can be sure to check that out and have a little more evidence in your pocket when you're talking about these issues uh, with folks in the outside the industry of agriculture. The other major topic of conversation here in Washington, D.C., we're starting to see the headlines build on it already. The debt limit, the debt ceiling debate. It is expected from a lot of the people and experts here in DC that I talked to yesterday that this debate is just heating up. It will likely get into its stride as we get into midsummer, which is likely when the farm bill debate is heating up. Stay tuned, we'll be keeping up to speed on all of these issues as this year moves on. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. There are a ton of social networking websites, but one stands apart for a very special reason. This one saves lives. It's MatchingDonors.com. MatchingDonors.com links organ donors with people in need of kidney and other transplants. In the U.S., 22 people die each day waiting for an organ transplant, most of them for kidneys. If you've ever considered becoming a living organ donor, or if you're someone in need of an organ transplant, visit MatchingDonors.com, home of the greatest gift of all, the gift of life. MatchingDonors.com. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. 
China's gross domestic product grew 2.2% from the previous quarter and 4.5% year-on-year for the first quarter of this year, beating analyst expectations of a 4% growth. China's GDP grew 2.9% in the fourth quarter of 22. Domestic consumption rose 5.8% year-on-year, which accounts for 40% of GDP in China. Investment was up by 5.1% year-on-year, and this sector accounts for 37% of GDP. Exports account for 20% of GDP, and they rose by 8.4% in the first quarter. Growth in exports was encouraging, considering a decline in demand for goods from the United States and from Europe. Today's numbers raise optimism for the Chinese economy, which has positive implications for the global economy as well. Retail sales in China jumped 10.6% year-on-year in March, up from 3.5% in February, and above analyst expectations of 7.4%. But there were areas of concern for China's economy. Sales for higher-valued goods continue to be soft. Auto sales fell 2.3% year-on-year, while home appliance sales were down 1.7%, and electronic sales dropped 5.1% year-on-year. Overall, though, the data shows that the private sector remains cautious. While state-owned enterprises are responding to government-led investments, the consumer is increasing spending on small-ticket items but also lacks the confidence in the recovery to invest in big-ticket items. Russian officials again blocked inspection of ships moving through the safe corridor as part of the Ukraine Grain Initiative. It is the second time in as many weeks that movement has been halted, although Russia continues to blame it on others. The Joint Coordination Center institutes a coordinated plan for the inspection of ships moving through the corridor, but Russian inspectors decided to randomly pick ships of their choosing, causing everything to come to a halt. And without explanation, they have also refused to register three ships since April 14th. Two of them were destined for China. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... (laughs) Hey, listen. It's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA marches on today. Now we're going to turn our focus to the markets. We're going to talk specifically about the grain markets. We've seen the back and forth in the mar- in the blah, commodity market prices. We've got concerns about the acreage going in the ground here in North America. And of course, we're still wondering what is coming out of the ground in South America, that large soybean crop in Brazil and that safrina crop that's growing down there as well. Well, joining us today for an update on these factors is Tanner Emke. He serves as the grain and oil seeds economist for Bank Tanner, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Mike. Uh, great to be with you. Let's start with the global picture. Tanner, if you don't mind, we think about the volatility we've seen in production over the past three years and in prices. As you look out to where things sit right now, balance sheets globally, are we continuing to see them tighten? Well, it's a great question, Mike. There's so many things going on in the world right now that are impacting markets, uh, fundamental and otherwise. Uh, markets are uh, impacted by the flow of money, and there are so many things right now that are scaring markets uh, with all the geopolitical issues and weather issues and what have you. And so we try to filter that out and just look at the fundamentals. And on a high level, uh, when you look at the latest data that has come out from USDA, and th- these are numbers that have already been digested into the marketplace, but they bear worth repeating. We are short on grains in this country. And uh, that was borne out in the quarterly stocks report that came out here uh, at the end of uh, March. And that is especially the, the case with corn. Uh, that is the case with wheat, uh, somewhat the case for soybeans. And so 
Uh, those are just the, that's just the fundamental reality that the markets are dealing with right now. And if you look at what's going on in the futures market, what is the market trying to tell you? Uh, the market is saying, do not store uh, those commodities. Bring them to the market right now. Uh, if you do happen to have uh, any of those commodities of corn, wheat, or soybeans in storage, you're going to be penalized for it. If you look at the, uh, the, the price of uh, those futures contracts in the uh, later dated months, like uh, December for corn and wheat or November, for instance, for uh, soybeans, uh, they are down substantially from what they are compared, compared to what they are today. So that's just uh, the market saying we're short today, bring them to the market right now. Now, where are we going in the future? Well, there's clearly a lot of things right now that are complicating that. We have over in the Black Sea region, as you know, as we've been watching now for the past year, a lot of issues with uh, the geopolitical situation as it is with Ukraine and Russia uh, and the Black Sea uh, Grain Initiative that uh, Russia agreed to with Turkey and the UN. And right now, uh, the, the Russians are doing some saber rattling, saying we're not going to approve any more exports out of Ukraine. And, ex and Ukraine is obviously a major exporter uh, out of the Black Sea for uh, grains and oil seeds. At the same time, uh, Ukraine's friends and neighbors uh, right across the border uh, in uh, countries like Poland and Hungary and Slovakia have been struggling with very low uh, prices of uh, grains and oil seeds because of the influx of commodities coming across the border from Ukraine, uh, because the EU has wanted to, has wanted to help U Ukraine in their endeavor uh, with uh, with U with Russia's invasion. Well, now you've got uh, block blockages happening there across the border uh, with uh, those Eastern Bloc countries trying to stop uh, the flow of grains and oil seeds onto the market. Now. We are not in the peak export season right now uh, for uh, those commodities. But as we enter into the summer months, it starts to become a bit of a head scratcher. What's going to ha happen next? Uh, will, the, will the Russians start sinking Ukrainian ships? They may or may not. They may just turn a blind eye and uh, focus their efforts on other things. But if, it's, if that's the end of the grain um, uh, initiative uh, here in a month, that could be uh, a problem. Uh, for Ukraine and the world grain markets. And then at the same time, what happens politically with those Eastern Bloc countries in Europe? Uh, are, they going to, are, are they going to work out a deal with the EU with those farmers, for instance, being compensated uh, for taking all those grain, grain and oil seed supplies that have depressed the local markets? So you've got all of these geopolitical factors, Mike, that really just cloud uh, this picture. Uh, and then at the same time, uh, we've got a massive uh, soybean crop coming onto the market right now. It's expected to, that Brazil is going to be exporting record uh, soybean volumes this month. Uh, that's to be expected because of the uh, record large soybean harvest that they are now bringing on. You mentioned the Safrina crop. Uh, that's going to go hand in hand with the record large soybean crop because it's that short season uh, corn crop. That's why they call it the Safrina corn crop. That's going to be planted right behind soybean harvest. And so they've got uh, that crop in the ground and it's, they're off to the races there. And so you've got a situation potentially where we're going to see uh, an influx of corn onto the market from South America, specifically Brazil, uh, later this year. Uh, now, we have to keep, talk about South America in the context of what's happening in Argentina. Uh, as the market is well aware, it's been historically dry there down in Argentina. Just a really sad situation there uh, for those farmers. And uh, their crop, their harvests are a fraction of what they normally do for both corn and soybeans and wheat. Uh, and that has played a role in tightening the world balance sheet. But you've got Brazil there that has really been punishing the markets uh, with their exports. Uh, and at the same time, you turn the conversation back again to Russia. They had a phenomenal harvest. They have also been exporting uh, record tonnages uh, as well during this period. And that has been depressing prices as well. So we we really have to take a look at what's going on in the global uh, markets to understand what's going on. We, we do not exist in a vacuum uh, because if you look at what's going on here in the United States, you, you it's a real head scratcher. When you look at what, uh, what commodity prices have done here for corn, wheat, and soybeans, especially the grains uh, over the last several weeks, 
because you've got drought in the plains. It's just a terrible drought in Kansas, eastern Colorado, all the way down to the Texas Panhandle. And that is absolutely raising some concerns uh, about uh, the biggest wheat growing region in the U.S., and then you got some snowpack up in the northern plains, which is raising some concerns about how many acres are going to be planted up there and what may happen with flood issues potentially uh, in the Red River Valley and along the Mississippi River uh, later this year. So definitely a lot of concerns here in the U.S. in terms of uh, our supply situation and potential uh, uh, supply availability later in the year. But it's really this global picture, Mike, that has uh, really depressed, uh, brought a more depressed uh, feeling uh, to the commodities. Yeah, those are great points, Tanner. And I want to focus on the wheat market specifically, because that is something we've got a lot of news brewing right now, as you mentioned, that devastating drought in the Southwest, all the back and forth between the Eastern European countries, and of course, Russia's massive exports. Now, from a market analyst perspective, Tanner, if Russia doesn't renew this grain deal, if it ends in mid-May, that would effectively suspend their wheat exports as well, wouldn't it? Or would they still go overland to China and India? They're still going to keep exporting. Remember, the, the Black Sea Grain Initiative is the agreement, basically, that Russia will not sink Ukraine's ships. Uh, they will allow them safe passage through the Black Sea. Uh, if that agreement is uh, expires, as, uh, as, as it is expected to in the middle of May, uh, then what happens next? Uh, will the Russians sink those ships? Uh, will they not? We're not quite certain. Uh, the Russians are certainly going to guarantee the export of their own cargoes, uh, of their own of their own ships. Uh, not so much of uh, the guarantee now for the Ukrainian ships. So those Russian ships are still going to move. They can they can also move overland as well. Uh, but it's that uh, that trade, especially from Russia down into Turkey and that isthmus there, uh, that is uh, very important. Turkey has been now the major importer of a lot of those grains and a lot of milling capacity in Turkey. And then they send that flour down in the Middle East, North African market. So that's an important trade that the Russians are going to be taking sole advantage of. Um, and we'll see if they uh, if they're going to uh, be amenable uh, to more exports. Uh, I'll tell you, if, if you're a Ukrainian exporter right now, uh, it's a very stressful time uh, because if that grain initiative uh, is not renewed, then the cost of insurance for those boats uh, coming out of those Ukrainian ports is going to go sky high. It's already high, but it's going to go higher. And so then uh, it becomes perhaps just an economic issue. It may not pay uh, to send those boats out because it's just too expensive. All right. That is going to be an ongoing issue. Tanner, let's bring our focus back here to the United States. We're gearing up to put our crops in the ground here for the 2023 cropping season. Back on March 30th, we've got the USDA's Planting Intentions Report. From your perspective, how well did that jive with what you were expecting here to see this spring? Made a lot of sense with what USDA was saying uh, on the quarterly stocks. Uh, we're especially tight on corn and the market has responded and farmers have thus far at any rate at the first in the first two weeks of March in any way where they were what their what the farmers were deciding was that we're going to have more of an increase of uh, grains, feed grains, especially corn, uh, not so much for soybeans, because, again, uh, Brazil has really been. Uh, moving a lot of soybeans into the market, and that has depressed the enthusiasm for the market to try to incentivize more soybean acres in, in North America. And so uh, the attention then turns to, okay, what about, the, what about the grains? What about corn? And so that's where the enthusiasm right now is uh, in the market, is to try to incentivize those uh, an expanded corn acreage in the U.S., uh, you know, because we had a lot of problems uh, in Argentina. You have a lot of problems, uh, again, uh, with Ukraine. And uh, the feed demand is very strong uh, in the U.S. interior. That has not gone away. And so with the interior basis bids uh, extremely high for corn, just all over the Corn Belt, especially in those western states uh, where all the feedlots are, uh, that's absolutely driving the market. Uh, to try to incentivize farmers to expand uh, their range. We've been talking with Tanner Emke, lead economist for grains and oil seats over at CoBank. And Tanner, thanks so much for joining us today. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart.
You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration. Retinitis pigmentosa. Usher syndrome. And the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We We win. We 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 are are the the foundation foundation fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. In this sixth and final installment in a six-week series, Nelson Neal, head of CHS Global Research, describes another trend shaping the future of agriculture. Today, we're talking about globalization. Nelson, agriculture is a global industry, and that means changes around the world affect U.S. farmers. Will China continue to play a significant role in global markets? Absolutely. And you know what? It's not just about demand. Think about the broader role that China plays in agriculture. They're one of the largest or the largest producer of active ingredients that go into crop protection chemicals that eventually find themselves on acres and acres of U.S. soils. That's number one is on the production and supply side. Number two, they're a global supplier or certainly an influencer of global trade flows of fertilizer. And then, of course, perhaps one of the most obvious ones is China is a great demand sink for a number of commodities. China's got a big role to play in terms of where U.S. agriculture is headed. How about Brazil, Nelson? Do you expect them to continue to emerge as a major crop exporter? The answer, again, just like China, is absolutely. Brazil is the largest exporter of soybeans and also maintains a significantly sized corn crop. They've got certainly the land available for expansion. and Their yields continue to improve. Net-net, I think they're well positioned to continue to play a significant role. With all these factors to consider, Nelson, what's the bottom line for U.S. farmers? Pay attention to what's going on in the marketplace because a lot of these changes will manifest themselves in market pricing and that may or may not give the farmer a margin opportunity when he looks to lock in either the price of his inputs or the value that he receives from the crop that is ultimately being produced. That's Nelson Neal, head of CHS Global Research. Nelson, thanks for joining us this week. Thank you, Mike. And thank you for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416.
Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, folks. AOA marches on this morning. And of course, we've been talking a lot about issues developing in Washington, D.C. today. But before we go, I want to take a step back and look around the world because we continue to see news develop that impacts the commodity markets. And one of the ongoing stories for the last three years has been what is going on with China's economy. After the coronavirus started there, they shut down, began their COVID zero policy. The concern was China is going to slow down, could enter a recession, a depression. Well, back in December, if we can recall, President Xi Jinping pulled back from that COVID zero policy, opened up the economy, and though they've had struggles, we're starting to see China return to work. Now, since it has been a couple of weeks, that data is always a little bit slow coming out. We're getting to the point that we're starting to see economic data reflect the fact that China is indeed reopening. And in fact, this week, we got news that their energy and commodities output in particular is rushing back more quickly than nearly anything else. The month of March saw records set in China for coal mining, natural gas output, and oil refining. Now, this is in line with their broader economy's set, or should say, stated growth at 4.5%. That is much stronger than most global economists were anticipating here in the first quarter 2022 in that country. However, the Chinese economists expected they were going to have 5% growth, so it did come in a little bit below what they were anticipating. But the overall theme is that the Chinese are returning to work. Oil processing continues to advance. The focus on energy security that China has been really pushing for the better part of two years intensified after Russia invaded Ukraine. We saw the price of energy globally shoot up, and China has decided to double down on coal production coal-produced electricity. Uh, their coal production is expected to continue to surge, and production for coal increased 4.3% in the first quarter 2022 to 417 million tons. Natural gas output up 4% to 20.5 billion cubic feet. Now, this is happening, this economic rebirth, so to speak, in China, or at least this commodity-driven growth in China, is coinciding with a time of more external engagement for Chinese leadership. We've seen the Chinese and the U.S., get into loggerheads. We've got a lot of discussions, a lot of disagreements when it comes to policy, when it comes to information security, when it comes to technology, when it comes to agricultural exports, and that's creating some tension. And that's encouraging the Chinese to broaden their pool of buyers. We talked about the trip between Brazil and China. President Lula da Silva of Brazil went down to China this past week. In that time, they were signing many, many different agreements. The Brazilians and the Chinese have now renormalize their diplomatic procedures, and both countries are expected to be making investments in the other one in order to improve, well, in the Brazil case, it's predominantly food security from the Chinese perspective. But Brazil isn't the only country that China is talking to. After four years of political tiffs with the country of Australia that resulted in China suspending imports of many of their ag products, barley, beef, pork, all were, were suspended over the past several years coming into China from Australia. And now the Chinese are saying, hey, let's rethink this. Last week, the Australians announced they had reached an agreement with China to resolve their dispute over barley imports, which uh, they have been working on pretty consistently since January. And earlier today, the Australian government came out and they said they are reaffirming their commitment to improving agriculture ties with China. There's a ministerial meeting happening today in Australia that is going to be working to get these things together. Bringing the topics or bringing the focus rather back to the United States, if you are a grassland grower, if you're looking for some 
conservation programs. The USDA has announced effective yesterday, signups are open for the Grassland Conservation Reserve Program for 2023. Uh, the USDA has announced that this is open for private landowners. You can begin signing up for the Grassland Conservation Reserve starting on Monday, April 17th, and this will run through May 26th, 2023. Grassland CRP, this is the unique working lands program. This allows producers and landowners to continue grazing and haying practices. Remember, you can let the livestock manage that grassland, handle the conservation so you're not out there mowing it and etc. Although you can also hay under the, uh, the grassland conservation program. And the idea is you're conserving grasslands and promoting plant and animal biodiversity in there as well as healthier soil. So if that's something you're looking at, if you've got grasslands you use on your operation, you want to be able to graze them, you want to be able to uh, earn a little bit extra for encouraging uh, those programs to get together, then by all means, check that out. You can uh, you can log in right on the, the USDA website to get that done. One other piece of news here, as we remember our sitting in Washington, D.C. today, we will be hearing from Agricultural Undersecretary Jenny Moffett. I talked yesterday about the report that USDA issued earlier this week highlighting the improvements to biosecurity throughout the poultry supply chain, and Jenny Moffett is going to expand on that. She'll be testifying at a House Ag Subcommittee hearing later today about the, uh, the review of the USDA animal, ugh, animal disease prevention and response efforts. Now, this is going to go beyond the HPAI, though no doubt that will be uh, eating up a majority of the conversation as that has been the largest animal health impact for the past three years. But it's also expected we will be talking about the efforts to prevent and uh, keep African swine fever off our shores, as well as some of the risks around foot and mouth disease as they continue to exist out there in the world. We've also got some updates on global ag export rankings. Beef and chicken in 2022. What country was the world's largest exporter? wasn't the United States. It was actually Brazil. They led in both beef and chicken exports. Remember, we're not just talking production. They export a lot more than they produce. The U.S. still produces and consumes a lot. Interestingly, the EU, number one in pork exports in this past year. They, they took the title from the United States after China has scaled back some of their pork purchases following that African swine fever outbreak. Though African swine fever could be a concern in China, that might still be with us, folks. Tune in tomorrow. We'll be talking a lot more of these issues, and I'll be bringing some of the conversations we'll have today in D.C. with representatives, legislators, and regulators here at Washington Watch. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow for more AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. The average American eats 250 eggs per year, which translates to a total annual consumption of 76.5 billion eggs in the U.S. About 60% of eggs produced here in the U.S. are used by consumers, and about 9% are used by the food service industry. A chef's hat is said to have a pleat for each of the many ways you can cook eggs. The color can range from white to deep brown. Hens with white feathers and earlobes lay white-shelled eggs, while hens with red feathers and earlobes lay brown-shelled eggs. Because breeds that lay brown eggs are typically slightly larger birds, they require more food, making brown eggs usually more expensive than white. You can tell whether an egg is fresh or stale by dropping it in water. A fresh egg will sink, but a stale one will float. Eggs also contain all the essential protein, minerals, and vitamins, and egg yolks are one of the few foods that naturally contain vitamin D. And eggs are also good for your eyes because they contain lutein, which helps prevent age-related cataracts and muscle degeneration. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. 
Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov.